Warren A. Pease and Shelley Delaney present. A Warren A. Pease production presents A Warren A. Pease production, The Movie Professors. weird hall room or hallway chair what hallway chair oh, yeah. <laughs> found in the hallway cool um sounds good sounds fine gonna drink some coffee go ahead <laughs> oh it is really sweet okay Maybe she did give us a spicy one. Maybe. It's pretty good, though. Yeah. So, <laughs> you're very excited about this movie. You yeah. have a lot to say. So, yeah. Uh, this is the movie professors? Is that? This is the movie professors. That's what we're calling the, the movie professors. Yes. Two E's. Uh, I'm, I'm Warren. I'm Shelly. Okay. Uh, do we need to introduce ourselves all the time? No, I'm already born. <laughs> um, is should we just jump into movie or should we like talk about stuff? I think it's supposed to be organic. Uh, okay, that was organic. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about the movie. Okay, so we watched Bad Times at the El Royale. In my mind, I'm always just gonna remember it as. Bad times at El Royale, because that actually makes sense. Yeah, I know. I so much about this movie is just gimmicks and quirk, and that feels like a gimmicky quirk. Mm -hmm. The fact that it's got two does in the title, this is more Mm -hmm. gimmick and quirk. That's how you would make summary of the whole movie. We'll we'll get to it, and I'll point out, I'll point out a lot of these quirks that like really feel like it's trying to be kitschy or clever mm. but just feels like stupid because they try so hard and the name right off the bat even yes. is like because bad times too not a terrible night not a dark night not mm-hmm. like a, a, a bad time kind of just cute you know mm-hmm. <sighs> okay 
So let's go through the plot. We'll just move through it and talk about it. Mm-hmm. So the movie opens with um, somebody burying a bag in a hotel room, mm-hmm. which is Nick Hofferman. Yes. Yeah. So. And I love that in the two minutes that Nick Offerman is alive, he does woodwork. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he definitely knew how to use a hammer. Um, <laughs> and we get the thing, we get another gimmicky thing about this movie. Musical montages. Mm-hmm. Fuck do we have a lot. Yeah. Way too many. I disagree. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. That's one. That's the first count. The movie starts off with that. Yes. Um, so this bag, um, he buries it, fixes the room. Somebody knocks at the door and he gets shot. Mm-hmm. And then we get title screen. Yep. Bad times at the El Royale. Mm-hmm. <sighs> You're already frustrated. Then we get musical montage number two mm-hmm. as people start to show up. And it goes on forever. We have another full minute to two minutes of music as mm. nothing happens literally people drive and park but i mean it seems like nothing happens but every detail that's in there means something so i i don't feel okay like nothing happens sure i mean i guess there is the fact that she has those the bedding mm-hmm. and that uh jeff bridges is mm-hmm. looking confused and there's that cute little exchange between them them their dialogue between the two of them so the the two characters being father daniel flynn and darlene sweet yes right so darlene sweet is a singer that's Mm -hmm. all we know about her and then everyone makes a lot of assumptions about who the priest must be and everything about his personality just based on his collar Mm -hmm. so So then we go inside Mm -hmm. and they check into the hotel and again the hotel has a gimmick can't just be a hotel it has to be a quirky kind of silly hotel on the border of california and nevada so why i'm curious why you think all of that is gimmicky because it doesn't lead to anything because it's all real uh, it is sure everything about the details in that hotel is the same it's i mean it's remarkably similar to the the cal neva fine fine that's all great so for some background on that that is the uh, it was a casino and lodge and hotel that was existed since I think it was 1926, but it was bought by Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, and then one of the biggest mobsters in California mm-hmm. in I think it was 1960, and it became the a huge party place for everyone. And yeah, lots of murder happened there, lots of. Uh, intrigue so I thought um, that once I kind of understood that I didn't think anything was that that gimmicky in the movie because it was portraying a a pretty realistic um, scene sure it just could have been any hotel it didn't like that's the thing that bugged me so much Mm -hmm. is that like you have this location on the divide of California and Nevada Mm -hmm. and at no point does it fucking matter like, it would be interesting if parts of it had to do with the location, but it could have been just a hotel anywhere. Yeah, there was the roulette thing, and we'll get to that, mm-hmm. where there's gambling, but that could have been a coin flip. Didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And it's like, great, we're at this location, we're going to make it look cool, but do nothing with it. Like, 
it's not important mm -hmm. to the story. It's just a like, look at this cool place that has history. You're supposed to think it's interesting. Mm -hmm. It's a cool setting. That's it. It just it just felt gimmicky. That's what I mean. Like, mm -hmm. so then so then anyways, we're in the lobby. Uh, they all, the the singer and the priest walk in, and they get in there and. John Hamm is behind mm -hmm. the counter making coffee because he can't get service. And he is, what is his name? Laramie Seymour Sullivan is yes. how we first know him. Giving like the worst, best bad accent. I've oh, heard yeah, in a long it really time. was. And I was just like, my first impression was that John Hamm just isn't that good at accents. <laughs> and then when he signs his name and it's exactly legible, I'm like, well, that's not anybody's signature and yes. I can read it. Oh, and the accent's fake. So he's he's just fake. Yeah, which was great because I was yeah. like, okay, cool. But again, just sort of a thing. Like mm -hmm. it felt like it's like, I can do a bad accent, so I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, so the the singer bangs on the door and gets the guy to come out. Mm -hmm. And they get he gives a spiel about how interesting this hotel is. Mm -hmm. that it's on the state line or whatever. Mm -hmm. it's, it's cool, but it just felt like a cool you just wanted to chew the scenery a little bit and show off this rad set which it was mm -hmm. the movie is beautiful i'm not going to take away from the way it looks it's very pretty like the color scheme is brilliant how uh like one side is one color and the mm -hmm. other side is the other color nevada line everything is uh blue and purple yeah. and california it was gold and white i think yeah and it was and even the hotel rooms reflected that it was mm -hmm. very good but no point mm -hmm. just, yeah so then, um, conveniently, within the same 10 minutes of everyone arriving, mm -hmm. the other character arrives mm -hmm. to get a hotel room as well. It was just very... Are you saying everything in this tone of voice because you're upset that the movie didn't try to be more realistic? No, I'm just upset because it was like needlessly convenient to make things happen to push the story along in a way that just was like... Well, now this happens because it has to happen. Well, okay. So how do you explain why they do the same thing that you're describing in Stagecoach and you loved it? Because in Stagecoach, there's an immediacy to why they're all leaving, and the Stagecoach is leaving at a specific time. Mm -hmm. This is a check into a hotel. You could check at any time. Well, okay, let's get into the different reasons now that they are actually all but there. This, okay, and this is also not – we. we We'll push on. Yeah, mm -hmm. we should. Yeah, so. Because I would agree with you more if it was true that they're all there for 100% different reasons, mm -hmm. and then it is too much of a coincidence to explain. But when we learn more about them as characters, there's um, there, there are more connections that would make the timing sure. make more sense. Mm, I guess. I mean, well, let's go on because mm -hmm. that will be explained as the plot unfolds, which is kind of the point of this movie is that we meet all these quirky characters mm -hmm. who quite obviously are phony. Like, nobody's believing that Flynn's a priest or mm -hmm. that Laramie's a fucking singer. Like, or no, uh, no. Uh, uh, vacuum salesman. Vacuum salesman. Yeah, it's great. Um, so then they get a room and Laramie needs to check into the hotel suite because it's super important mm -hmm. because that's the whole thing. And then we have a title card that says room one. Mm -hmm. And this is another thing that I'm okay with, and I think it's cool, but the execution is quirky and doesn't follow through later. And we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. So it's room one, right? Mm -hmm. So he goes into room one. Turns out he's a spy, and he's looking for all these bugs. Mm -hmm. So he pulls all these bugs out, but he also finds other bugs. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that part of the movie was awesome. That whole section was great. The visual storytelling was mm -hmm. awesome. Um, they avoided using a popular music montage. They just used normal music, mm -hmm. and it worked really well, and it felt cool. Um, ba -ba -ba. And then he measures the room and finds out that his room from the outside is longer than it is from the inside. Mm -hmm. um, and then he goes into the lobby, goes in the back room, finds a secret passageway with the hallways, mm -hmm. and walks down the hallways. And then we have Darlene singing, just the the third. No, that's the second. No, no, it is the third musical montage. Mm -hmm. So, which is her singing the whole song. Mm -hmm. It just it just takes forever and goes nowhere. It's just it's just boring, and they do it so many times. I I, I am seeing the same things you are, yeah. but I didn't think any part of that was uninteresting. Okay, I, I really liked the length of it. Her singing was very pretty and nice, but I was just already tired of that same thing, which is just a montage or something. And we didn't learn any new information really. Just that she's saying. We also saw a dude digging up the floor, Flynn. Mm -hmm. So, because he's walking down the hallway. Anyway, so then he walks all the way down. Is that what happens next? He walks all the way down because the last. He's saying that he can see yeah. into other rooms, but we know that on the Nevada side, only room four and five, where the priest and the singer are, the only ones that are occupied or prepared. No room. Yeah. And. I think they're the the girls are in room seven. Are, uh, oh, they're on the Nevada side too. Yeah, because okay. I think the California side's completely yeah. closed. So, but there were rooms in between them that are not occupied. So they're dark. But then he sees that there's a large video camera yeah. that's recording one of the rooms. Mm -hmm. Which room was that? That was the room, like I think eight, mm -hmm. all the way down the hall, yeah. implying that's the room that the. So he film found was in. that, but I mean, I liked the detail that because. When he's looking in all of the the one-way mirrors, he can see that um, that he can turn on the speaker boxes. So he's choosing to listen to her sing, mm -hmm. and everything else is silent. So I thought that was like a realistic choice. And then, so you just hear her voice echoing in the hall, and I thought that was a good choice, just because we're feeling the contrast of like her. It's a very what we're what's being revealed is that this something really dark and shady has been going on in this. Mm -hmm hotel which is what the the bellboy manager is alluding to is that yeah. this is a no place for a priest right uh as he says but like that to have the there's a lot of contrast that's like either visual or um auditory where there's something that looks really pretty but is really dark there's a beautiful song going on while nefarious things are being found so i thought that was the purpose yeah and i didn't i understood the purpose just mm -hmm. fine and i got that it was just really ham-fisted and very bashing me over the head because they do it over and over again. So, but anyways, we, we'll keep going because this is the thing. It's, it's like, cool, we have these these first ideas. Mm -hmm. there, there's, oh, yeah, and there's also the, the coin thing where he's like, the father can't remember which room he's in. Mm -hmm. So Laramie comes up and is like, do a coin flip to figure out which room you want. Right. And he does. It feels like it's setting up something really doesn't but well, kind of does sort of it does a little bit only because we think in that moment that he's just doing a coin flip because he doesn't care which room he's in and he's trying to make a decision but 
when we understand that the character it has a totally different past than we know, and he is suffering from early onset dementia, yeah. that he is doing the coin flip to have the fates tell him wh- which room has the buried money sure. in it. So. Yeah, well, and then um, so then after that all happens, uh, yes, we get another title card, room five, mm-hmm. and we get more or less. Darlene's flashback. So here's the thing. No flashback for Laramie. Mm -hmm. Flashback for Darlene. Why? Why not have a flashback for him? Mm -hmm. It just, it's just like, okay. We get a taste for everyone's history in different ways. You're right. It's not a flashback. We just have the scene of him talking to his daughter and wife on the phone. So we get a personal like uh, shot of his history, but it's present time rather than past. I was trying to find any kind of consistency with the title cards, mm-hmm. and there's none. That's true, because it's like room five, room four, and then all of a sudden it's someone's name. Yeah. and Or it's a place. So right. it's like saying one, two, B. Yeah, it was just like, and I'm, I'm like, I'm fine you're trying to do a thing. Yeah. I don't get what you're trying to do with your thing. And maybe you don't either. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it felt like. Yeah. Ooh, look at this. Like, I've seen a uh, you know, uh, um, uh, what is it? Um, the guy who made Darjeeling Unlimited and oh yeah, no, Wes yeah. Wes Anderson. Yeah, like, yeah, no, he was on my mind the whole time. Yeah, it's like I, I've seen a movie like him. I can add title cards and it'll make me look yeah. arty. But what it made me think was like they just forgot to remove it on the script. And it was like the location, and they're like, <laughs> yeah. now we're in room five. Yeah. So there, I mean, I let's just be comparative then, because this movie wasn't nearly as forcefully quirky as any Wes Anderson movie. True, but. Wes Anderson has a style, and you know what you're going into with that. Whereas this was like kind of Quentin Tarantino, but also kind of not. And I was getting really heavy Reservoir Dog vibes. I didn't write down what's the director or writer's name. And Drew something. He also did. Yeah, so yeah. he he did Cabin in the Woods, yeah. and I mean I other than the the two way mirror thing as mm-hmm. being a theme, <laughs> um, he, I thought it, I. Just for the couple movies he's made, I think he already is kind of putting a stamp on things. Yeah. I just... I'll, I'll get to my conclusion about that at the end, because I think his stamp is the problem. Mm. So anyways, so we're in room five. We get Darlene's backstory, which is she's like a backup singer, mm-hmm. and some creepy guy's like, you got to do better. His, I, his accent went from Irish to yeah. English. Yeah, that was pretty good. I was like... And also that whole... Again... I was like, Irishmen don't have any places of power in the 60s in America. <laughs> so and then he turned British, and I was like, that makes more sense. Also, another musical montage. That's, yeah. It's four now. What is wrong with that? I don't get your complaint. Because when the movie was scored with normal music scoring, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I understand how the characters are feeling. And when they played pop music, I was just like, oh, cool. I guess this is the 60s and the 70s. I guess this is the era we're in. Like, it would have been fine a couple times, but every single time it's used, it's, like, so loud. Like, it's just, like, it envelops the entire screen with noise, so all you can focus on is the music and go, oh, yeah, I know music from the 60s. This is I'm a hip guy who knows this era. You're like, here's Nixon on the TV, because this is the 60s, you know? Well, but it's not, okay. I want to I be nitpicky about this, because the... What they're trying to say, I think, with the, the Nixon stuff, so they show Nixon. The reason why that hotel is no longer the place mm-hmm. that it used to be and the reason why it's not 
I think what we want it to be is because it is different. So that we're taught the movie is centered on focusing on John F. Kennedy's America and then Nixon's America. Sure. And there are also on the TV, there's the Manson style killings, which are mm-hmm. obviously the Billy Lee killings, yes. which are really. So, no, I get that. But it was also very much like it just felt like and like we'll get we're, we're about to get to the thing that I that bugs me personally the most. OK, okay. so and then Flynn. So we get that backstory. She's, she's in her room practicing. The big reveal is that all of her bedrolls are to put up on the wall so that she doesn't bother people next mm-hmm. door. OK, I guess that's cool. I don't know why you would hide that. I don't know why it was so mysterious. Like I, I don't. Kn- I, I I didn't see it, it that way because I mean she was just embarrassed that the, uh, the Laramie whatever that he was assuming that she was a prostitute because of um, the bedrolls. So he she didn't say anything about the bedrolls, but then he pointed them out yeah. in order to embarrass her, and then she was embarrassed and didn't want to talk about the bedrolls. Oh, okay, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because I would have just left him in the car. Mm-hmm. It would have made more sense. So anyways, so she's practicing. She gets done. Um, we learn that the flashback about her mm-hmm. not being good enough and she's going to sing in Reno. Mm-hmm. And then Flynn knocks on the door. He's like, come to dinner, blah, blah, blah. Eventually coaxes her to dinner. Mm-hmm. And this exchange between them was like the best part of the movie. It was very good. Uh, Jeff Bridges is just great. Mm-hmm. His fucking like forget for old man thing. Like the whole and his like weird speech impediment was yeah. fucking great. Yeah. That whole interaction was just like, yes, great. Yeah. And it's really tough to be, the the he, it's hard to pinpoint how subtle of an actor he was in that scene because mm-hmm. everyone is lying in this movie, and when you know they're not lying, it's because of heavy acting. Yeah. With him, it is a, a subtlety of acting that's amazing. So. You know that he's not a priest. You know he's lying. You know he's nefarious somehow. But when he has these moments of like forgetfulness or the emotion on his face when he listens to her sing, you know that that's 100% real. Yeah. You know it. And mm-hmm. that's why you're like, you decide to like side with him so early on because everyone else is lying. He's lying. But what he's hiding is that there's something good in him. And there's yeah. not really anything good about anyone else. No, yeah, and, and that's totally believable in that scene. Yeah. But then we get, again, another loud-ass musical transition because the movie just loves to do that. She puts music on the machine, and she's going to... And the only information we learn is that he's losing his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a good character development, but there's no new information learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes to get her a drink. Mm-hmm. She's He's going to poison or drug her or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then she clubs him in the side of the face with a bottle. Mm-hmm. Okay, two things. How'd she know she was being drugged? There's no indication at all. It just She just senses it? Fine. Okay, I'll give her that. This is the thing that really bugs me. How do you have all that amazingly good 1969 music on that jukebox for a hotel that's not being run very well? Who refills that thing? I think it's the ghost of Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, there is a picture. And we'll okay. talk about that later. Yeah, okay. But I know that was just the thing where I was like, ooh, someone's, I hope they can hear that person mowing the lawn. It's a weed whacker outside. That's, why is it so loud in here? <laughs> Let's so just keep strange. going. Um, well, so there's. <laughs> that, that was just the thing that was like, 
Okay, now now my belief is completely smashed. I okay, I didn't see it the same way, and I thought that they did a good job of explaining why because she was also a very subtle actor in that scene mm-hmm. because um, she there's like I I could see four different things happening in her face, and one of them which was that probably the most subtle acting that she did, which is that she didn't believe a word he said. Oh yeah, but she really made it seem like she did and so if you weren't paying attention you're just like well she believes him he's a nice guy mm-hmm. why would she do that to him but if you really i rewatched that scene mm. and i could see in her face from my perspective that the whole time she knew he was lying and the and so she knew she refused to drink a few times from him and i think she knew that all along so when he made her do the drink mm. i thought she made the decision i know why he's doing this i'm sure. going to go along with it but i'm going to stop him so yeah, okay. and i thought that was reinforced later because um, a lot of things happen but when the end when he reveals he can't remember his own name and she defends him she's like he's lying about everything but he's not lying about that yeah. so and i thought that was really well portrayed in that scene because she's seeing him tell these stories that she knows are full of shit but she becomes emotional when he tells the part that is the truth. Okay. No, I, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. And, and that's fine. And I, especially when she's like talking about those songs she sings. Mm-hmm. He's like, mm, yeah. Mm, oh, mm. yeah. He's but just. He sounds, yeah. yeah. He just sounds like he doesn't I know. know. I know. So, and, that, and oh, oh, yeah. I forgot. There was, uh, there's all the automated food stuff. Yeah. And one of them's called it's the Sandwich 9000. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's all shitty. It's great. Yeah. Um, okay. So then we get a title card. Which is Washington D.C. So we've already broken. Like, uh, yeah, that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then it's then it's just Laramie and filling uh, filling in Herbert Hoover mm-hmm. about the compromise. He's sent there to get all the bugs, I assume. Mm-hmm. And he's telling him that there are more bugs than they assume. So his job is to make mm-hmm. sure everyone stays. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "There might be a kidnapping," and then they're like, "Don't intervene." Mm-hmm. Um. Then we go to room seven. and the That's how I count. One, two, five, Washington, <laughs> no, D.C., it, seven. It's, it's, it's one, five, Washington, D.C., seven, <laughs> four. Anyways, <laughs> doesn't matter. So then we get um, room seven. And we're doing a time thing. This is another thing I think the movie was trying to be really clever with that doesn't actually work as being clever or serve the function except to make the movie longer. Because now, if you look at the chronology of the time, we are now jumping back in time mm-hmm. from before they went to dinner. And we're now in room seven mm-hmm. to where the woman character, Emily, mm-hmm. is... Nope, sorry, sorry. I'm incorrect. We're flashing back in time to when Rose met Billy Lee on the beach. Yes. With Chris Helmsley. And that was probably one of the more confusing scenes because of how it jumped. Yeah. Because up until that point, each um, title card was showing you, we're going to take you, what the present is, is when all these strangers meet. And we're going to go back just far enough to explain why they're coming to the rooms. Yes. And it's, so it's the same amount of time backwards to the same time forward. So that made sense. And then when they changed location and went back further in time, that's when it, that was probably the weakest choice yeah. they could have done. Well, and it just, it, this is what, this is where I think it was like trying to be really clever and like plant the seed of like, here's this, this, this captive of this guy and Ooh, he's, she's, he's, here's this charismatic cult leader mm-hmm. that we're not actually going to show the face of until much later. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I agree. I don't think it worked at all. I think it was just fucking confusing. Yeah. 
So then we're, and it's also a jump back in time chronologically to from where we were at the beginning of the hotel. Mm -hmm. So now we have one timeline that's broken, and then we have flashbacks that aren't consistent, yeah. and then we have title cards that also aren't consistent. So there's no through consistency except for this is interesting things are happening, but not necessarily things that make you understand the story better or give it a better reveal. Okay, so Emily is tying Rose to a chair, or she's tied to a chair. Yeah. And Laramie locks, knocks on the door, mm-hmm. busts the door open, gets Rose out, and then Emily shoots Laramie, and it blasts the mirror behind Laramie, mm-hmm. and they, fi- they then they find the passageway. We didn't explain to whoever might be listening to this, <laughs> this part of the story yet. So we, because we talked about the other three characters, but not Emily. So well, this, that's is, the, this is, this is, this is, this is, again, this is the first time we actually get to hang out with her. Yes. This is, we're learning about her now in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like 30 fucking minutes in the movie, we get one of the main characters. This is her introduction, is that. This is how we learn about them. That's why it's weird too. It's because at the beginning of the movie, she shows up to get a room, nothing from her. Then we get back to her and we get a backstory that's really confusing because it's not her, it's her sister. And then she's tying her sister up and then she directly shoots a guy, John Hamm, and then John Hamm's out of the movie. That's it's done. Doesn't it's okay, cool. He was in the movie for a while and now he's dead. Which is fine when you do that. But also then every single thread of spy espionage just yeah. gone. Yeah. They don't even bring up a thread. They don't even they the 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 maintenance guy isn't even like, we also bugged the rooms. Like you know. Yeah. So okay. Which, and that, sign, that scene was fine. We learned a lot of information in that scene. Mm-hmm. The shooting was cool. The effect was cool. The like, I love how uh, Emily just goes to Rose, move out of the way, when she just does. And then John Hamm's like, uh, and she just shoots him. There's like yeah. no hesitation at all. Yeah, which I is, like that. Yeah. Because I, I liked that. I like the feeling of unpredictability mm-hmm. at that point in the movie because I, I, it took me the first 10 minutes I wasn't interested in. And then after that, I became more interested in, especially because I didn't know what was going to happen next. So mm-hmm. to a certain extent, the lack of a thread in the story was pretty like Coen Brothers movie. And mm-hmm. I, I, I'm fine with that choice because it, again, we've talked about this. I've watched so many fantasy movies that I don't, originality is almost the only thing I tend to care about anymore. And if I don't know who's going to die or why, or why someone is in a scene, if they're going to die in a minute, then I, I'm sure. more intrigued. Yeah, and, and I thought, and that all worked to this movie. The structure and, and the execution are the things that like make me not like it. Hmm. Because, because we've just gone back in time to explain that, um, because... We walked it. Stop. No one's talking to you. Okay, so... Let's, let's keep going with the plot because then we move back to the lobby where um, Flynn wakes up from being hit in the head, mm-hmm. giving you the impression that the events that happened in room seven happened when he was passed out. Mm-hmm. That's not what happens. That's not the time frame. Right. Kind of is. but it, confusing. Yeah, it kind of is and it kind of isn't. They could have sh- they could have cut those scenes together mm-hmm. and kind of spliced them and it would have been interesting and you could have built tension as but he it seems like they were doing that um, pulp fiction trying to tell stories yeah. over each other 
And it didn't work because then this is the only section of the movie they do that for. So it's just confusing. But anyways, so he wakes up. Miles tries to confess to him. But he's like, I don't give a shit. Uh, and he says, shit happens, get the whiskey. Which is amazing. Jeff Bridges is saying that it's hilarious. <laughs> um, and then for no reason at all, Miles is like, hey, come check out this hallway where I spy on all these dudes. Well, he start, so he's asking him a lot of questions. And yeah. I, I, I think there's more to it than that. Because what we do find out and start to understand about that the manager of it, Miles, is that he hates himself and he wants anyone to confess to, which is why he was excited to meet a priest because he wants to unburden his soul. But also he doesn't, to, it did make sense that the state of mind that we find him in, he just wants to let come clean about everything that's happened. So he's yeah. like this, we find out this, uh, you know, Vietnam vet sure. who is addicted to heroin and hates himself and his life. So it seemed a little silly like on paper for him to just be like, hey, check out this hallway mm-hmm. where all this nefarious stuff happens. But he really, especially that's why it was significant that Jeff Bridges' character was a priest because he was a, f- a figure, like a savior figure for him. So he was willing to tell him anything, which I thought they sold pretty well. I, I think they sold it pretty well. But what it felt like to me was this is a clever writing element because I'll get miles in the hallway to get him shot behind Laramie. Mm-hmm. That's what it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. It felt like now we have a convenient excuse to tie all these characters together just because we need them to get involved. Because if they would have even been five to ten minutes before or after mm-hmm. that event, Miles wouldn't have been shot. Mm-hmm. Because they go down there and he, he, he gets shot. And that's also how they find the film, which I guess is the MacGuffin of the film, but no one really cares about it much. Like, there's this film that Miles has recorded... Mm-hmm which is one of the candidates, doesn't really matter. It could be Bobby, could be... They're, they're all dead, so it doesn't matter. It's one of them. That's the important thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he kept it. He didn't give it to his bosses or whatever. Um, but... So this is where the chronology is weird. This is why I'm, like, bringing this up again. Because he gets hit with the, the bottle, right? Mm-hmm. Then we go to when Laramie is shot. But what just happened is he wakes up, then he goes in the hallways, then Laramie gets shot. Yes. So we're jumping around in time for, like, no reason. Yeah. You could have spliced the scene with her being shot and Miles mm-hmm. walking through the hallway. Yeah, yeah, the choice to do that was obviously not because it made sense, but because the I thought it was just to reveal the characters in the way that uh, was the most emotionally, uh, I don't know about satisfying, but uh, you know we make decisions about these characters that are subverted mm-hmm. and we're inclined to be on their side. The more we know, sure. And so it was all just done as emotional manipulation, not as oh yeah. They're trying chronology. to t- they're trying to give you the full view of the character mm-hmm. up to certain points. I can see that. It just frustrated me because it was like, why are you jumping around time so much? Like, are you you're intentionally confusing people? For no real end to make this, like, there's no information we gather from retelling these events over and over again. You could have told them all at the same time, and it would have been just as impactful. Because, because that this has happened, right? So she's shot. Uh, yeah, and then, so, 
Yeah, 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 back Yeah, so that happens, and then... That being Emily shoots uh, Laramie, yeah. and then through the window she shoots Miles. Yes. But then we go back to Darlene making a run for it, mm-hmm. and Darlene sees Laramie taking all the distributor wires out of the cars, mm-hmm. which I thought was just like, wait, hooray for knowing how cars work. Because later she gets them back and plugs them in. Yeah, I was, was like, like, what yeah. is she doing? And it's like getting those. Yeah, and it's yeah. because the government had told him, don't allow anyone to leave. Yeah, and that, that was cool. Um, but then she sees the exact same event again, which is the killing of Laramie from a different angle. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, why? The only way that this could have been done in a better way um, is that I'm okay with them seeing different perspectives, but you have to agree on the one uh, event. Yeah. That there should be one event. So if they had done that in this movie, it would have been the shooting mm-hmm. of Miles accidentally mm-hmm. through the window. And that would have functioned as a very good metaphor in a lot of ways because all of the background of the characters could come to a head mm-hmm. when he's shot. But it would be um, a symbol because the breaking of the mirror would yeah. be symbolic mm-hmm. of yeah. like now the truth is revealed. Right. So that's what I would have done because I like the flashbacks because we understand the characters and why they are here in the present moment. But if that choice had been, that present moment would be shattering a mirror, yeah. shattering a window. That's very symbolic. So yeah, that's yeah. what I would have done. But we don't get that. Yeah. We get Darlene looking in the broken door mm-hmm. at the events just happening. So it's from her perspective, right? Mm-hmm. No, because then we get Rose talking to Billy Lee on the phone. So it changes perspective again. It changes again. perspective again. Although, technically, we're not doing the title card explaining someone's single back story oh, well, we have, anymore. We, so. we haven't forgotten about that yet. Just now when it's not convenient. Yeah. So, which, we have a different quirk to go with, which is like seeing each other's perspective and mm-hmm. seeing different timelines. That's mm-hmm. that's the thing of this section, is that, like a Tarantino yes, mindfuck with time. Yeah, very Tarantino. Yeah, and that, that so fine. So, so then she calls Billy Lee. And we know Billy Lee is coming. We don't know who Billy Lee is yet, mm-hmm. but she's coming. Um, then we get another title card. So we're back to the, the other idea, which is room four. And we see Flynn doing the bank robbery, mm-hmm. which was gorgeous. Holy crap, was that scene pretty. And we- inaccurate, because they named a town, what was it called? So it's like Stockton. Yeah, it was Stockton. Stockton. And I was reading some trivia, and they're like, there's never been any snow there. <laughs> but it looked gorgeous. Yeah. It was, it was, that was gorgeous. The money flittering around. Mm-hmm. Again, we get more um, manly Chris Offerman talking. He's like, is the car going to run? Eh, let's go with yes. Like, <laughs> just total, it's great. Th- those masks were so fucking cool. Yeah. Like the whole, that, that whole, and it also explains who shot Nick Offerman at the beginning mm-hmm. was the other guy. Fine. It's all, that, that, that was great. Best flashback in the movie. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay. So. Then we go back to Flynn knocking on Darlene's window because Darlene is trying to escape. Yes. And then he tells her about the money Mm -hmm. in her room, and he convinces her to help him. Mm -hmm. And I liked that a lot. I liked that scene. I thought it was pretty believable. It was explained pretty well. And so the next thing that we see is that she... So they both know that they're being watched those windows now. No, no, no. no, no we're not there yet. There's, a, there's, there's another musical transition scene and then Emily interrogating Miles because they okay. found Miles in the hallway. Mm-hmm. And this is when 
this is the the thing about the movie that I find the silliest, okay. but cool. So she's you know like he's like don't kill me, don't kill me. You don't know me, I don't know you. Mm-hmm. Rose tells him the name in the stupid like very Twiggy esque like flower child thing, and then he tells all those rad backstories, like the yeah. wolf guy, and that shit just was like, that I shit was hilarious. That. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, about it. so. <laughs> It's that he's seen a lot of crazy shit, yeah. one of them being a grown man stripping down naked and lying down next to a wolf that he is tied to a bed. And he's like, it wasn't sexual, but it wasn't not sexual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was very Coen Brothers. I love that. It was great. That was great. So I just wanted to make sure we didn't forget about that. Okay. Because that part is just like, it's just such a little blip. Yeah. And that's one of the very few scenes where I'm like, more stuff like that. If they would have made the the hotel have a bunch of little stories, yeah, that would have been cool. Or they had like, you know, I remember one night when I was on the Las Vegas side and somebody was drinking on the California right. side, and you know, stuff stuff like that. Yeah. So, but it's fine. That was just I just don't want to forget about that. But then, um, so that puts Miles and Emily and Rose in the lobby. Mm-hmm. Then we cut to another musical montage, important moving into the room. Mm-hmm. Um. Then we have the singing scene with Darlene. Mm-hmm. So, and this is another thing where I'm like, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to set up suspense. They have to cover the noises of him digging through the floorboards and using a hammer and a pry bar and stuff. Mm-hmm. I get it. But they had to get in the room, right? So there was, there was a part where Flynn would have been seen walking into the room and also leaving the room. But it was just convenient for the movie to show it as being tension because she was singing and digging. Because, well, so yeah, coincidentally, yes. the the person who's watching is Emily, and she walks in when both of them are already in the room, and she walks away before both of them have to leave. And that's and that's and it was I, I'm 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 fine with he the. You could have crawled out of the door though, because she was crawling the whole time. Still, I'm just saying it's like, the movie was 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 very much giving you a thing. It wanted to show you, which was, look at how neat it is. We can have her sing and hide the noise, but not give you a good setup for it. And that was why, you know, I was just a little, like, she could have walked around the the motel and, like, knocked on the door with the gun and been like, all right, I'm, I'm looking out. I'm making sure you don't. But no, it had to be the hallway mirrors because that's, like, the gimmick of the hotel. Yeah. So. Maybe, I mean, that... But you could say those hallways are what is they're using to tie all the scenes together. And the reason why they made the choice the way it did and it seemed coincidental is because it switched perspective again. Mm-hmm. We're only seeing it through Emily's perspective at that point. So she is walking into a scene and walking out of a scene that we know exists without her. Sure. No, and, and I'm just saying that kind of stuff, that can kind of really convenient writing is the stuff where it's like, it felt like I'm trying to be really clever. I'm trying to give you this thing where you can go, oh, you're covering it up with the, the music. Mm. <laughs> but really, when you think about it, you're like, wait, what? Why? But there's so many. Oh, I mean, she she's just going to knock on the door and like walked in. like. But, okay, you know what? We're assuming that they're doing all of this for Emily, but what, I mean... I thought maybe they were just still keeping in mind that the, that her room is still bugged. So mm. they're thinking about management's perspective, not... They don't really know but Emily. But Flynn already fucking dug up a whole room and didn't give a shit. That's true. Maybe they find that... I, 
But he didn't know at that time. So hmm. there's a time where the characters enter the rooms and they don't know. Like Laramie knows right away all the rooms are bugged, yeah. and then we have to think that none of the other characters know. Okay. okay. And when they see the hallway, they know that. It just was way too convenient, and that's kind of what I mean. Where like things had to happen a specific way, mm-hmm. and it was forced in ways that just seemed ridiculous to me. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why I'm like, it just felt like somebody was really trying to be a clever writer mm-hmm. and write all these clever situations in, but not actually have them make sense. Mm-hmm. That's because I mean, okay, for example, let's let's go with the bug thing, right? We could have had. Um, um, Darlene find out the room's bugged. So while they're in the car, mm-hmm. they, she tells Flynn, like, the rooms are bugged, so we have right. to be really quiet. It wouldn't have anything to do with the mirror. She's could have had, like, Emily sitting, like, listening to them really mm-hmm. carefully, and they had to, like, walk in using the same footsteps, and the whole thing, like, totally different setup, but the same effect. You could have the same level of tension. It just wouldn't be so ludicrous as to be like, oh, it's just convenient she's behind the mirror now because we need this to happen so mm-hmm. it'll create tension. Anyways. Um, I think I'm going to sneeze. Okay. No. No, maybe later. Okay. So we go back to the lobby, and we find out that it's not up to Emily to kill Miles mm-hmm. because Rose is called Billy Lee. Okay. And then we have uh, another musical montage <laughs> of everyone being got captured and tied. Wait, don't we meet? Don't we get the background on Billy Lee right nope. before that? That happens directly okay. after. Yeah, okay. So they're captured in time, but before the. Because everything else is splits around in time, and then mm-hmm. that's sort of the turning point in the movie where it only stays in the present. Yes, yeah. And, and then the, all the weird time shit is done. Yeah. We had the second act was weird time shit. The first act was weird character introductions. Yeah. And the third act, which is an hour long, is Chris Helmsworth. Yeah. Re- just destroying that role. He's just fucking perfect. Oh. I thought in a good destruction. Oh, I yeah. was going to say. Oh, no. He was, he, was, he, he was amazing. Yeah, that that movie should have just been that. They should have all gotten to the hotel no. and it just should have been him walking no. around. He was really... It's hard yeah. to... Yeah, he was really fantastic because yeah. you know you hate him right away and you know he's bad, but, I mean, that's what's so interesting about what a good actor does because on the page it was just he sits there while someone gives him shit. Yeah. But he, as an actor he made so many choices in his face Oh yeah. that had emotion and like st- already told his background story mm-hmm. just for looking at his face and it was just the actor's decision. It's so good. Not like, what was written on the page. Yeah and him showing up walking down the red line between yeah. stuff because there's the duality the, the, yeah, of choice. Yeah that he, re- he yeah. rejects. So his yeah. whole cult is based on the rejection that there is good or evil. Which is like, so much bullshit, which I love. Because yeah, he's so full of crap. You're supposed to, yeah, right. Yeah. You're supposed to know he's full of crap. Yeah. So anyways, so that so he ties everybody up, and the loud ass pop music plays, which I think is the Doors or something. He's mm-hmm. 60s. And then he's like, howdy. He's got that, like, I love his, like, mustache with, like, the little bit of undergrowth. Like the yeah. whole and like not and wearing. And he started dancing like yeah. the Silence of the Lambs guy. <laughs> and like all, he's like not wearing a shirt, which is the only reason like anyone should go see Thor is for him to take off his shirt because like. Well, they, apparently he had to lose thirty pounds of muscle. He was skinny. In order, to, but he's still muscled. But to know yeah. that he was thirty pounds heavier in muscle just by being in he's the, a, those movies. Yeah, before. he's a big dude, it, and that's the thing. It's like he, he's a phenomenal actor. Yeah. Uh, uh, Cabin in the Woods. He's the big jaw guy. He's <laughs> fucking great in that. 
Um, okay, so Billy Lee. We get the we, so now now okay. now the title card. This time, not a location, a name or a number. Nor a number. It's Billy Lee. Yeah. So, why? <laughs> what What are we learning? Like I don't. Anyway, so we go we go to his cult thing. Yeah. And we get this setup where he, like you said, he, he has runs this cult where they don't even acknowledge the game. Even though he creates games for people to play because he has two women fight to sleep for him. Mm. Sleep with him. Sleep for him. Sleep for him. Please, sleep in front of me. Yes, excellent. <laughs> 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 um, so, and that happens. And then while that happens, he steals shit out of her purse. That's the point. Is like, you know, but in doing this, he's obviously full of shit. Because he's created a game and he still plays the game, which mm -hmm. is power. Yeah. Um, and he's got a cult of... Which is brilliantly pointed out later yes. on. Yes. Uh, we, that is another thing we'll get to. Okay. That, is, that was a very interesting point you bring up. But yeah, so he's like, he's Charles Manson. We have, he's, he's, yeah. he's Charles Manson. Rose is Twiggy. Mm -hmm. um, and, Although and, Rose... Because, so this director learned everything from Joss Whedon, mm -hmm. and I, th I was like, oh, it's it's River from <laughs> Serenity, and that's who Rose's character was, like swinging yeah, on the, sure. in like a f yeah. little dress and swinging on things and saying things that are inappropriate, but also being an assassin. Except for she actually commits murder. She's, that's yeah. the whole point. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, just like uh, River. So then, blah, blah, blah. Miles tries to confess again. So, so then they get everybody in the lobby, mm -hmm. and on the on the Nevada side in front of a roulette table. Mm -hmm. um, and Billy Lee puts the money out and the film. And Miles tries to confess again, but Billy's like, "Shut the fuck up." And um, this chai's making us burp a lot. Yeah, sorry. And uh, so then, yeah. So he tries he tries to get shit out of both of them. They lie, mm -hmm. and for some reason, Billy Lee <clears throat> understands they're lying. Mm -hmm. So then they play the game. And this is the thing about the movie that I think they were trying to get across that didn't work. Okay. Is there's this duality of choice and chance. Because there was the, there's the duality of the hotel. Mm -hmm. There's Las Vegas and the California side. Mm -hmm. There's the coin flip. There's all these chance overlapping mm -hmm. events of just coincidence and, but it, I never understood what they were trying to say because then they play this roulette game mm -hmm. and it's uh, Miles versus Emily. Mm -hmm. Emily loses and dies. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing we learn or gain from information with that happening that means anything. It's just, he's, she's dead now. And I don't understand why the movie kept trying to bring up these this duality and this choice thing and this chance thing. Well, I mean, sure. I don't, yeah. I don't think there's a big thing we learn, but we learn little things. Mm -hmm. When we see Emily die, and we understand at this point, I mean, she seems like a bitch the whole time. But then we, we understand at this point that everything she's done has been to try to protect her sister. Yeah, yeah. And so once we have fully accepted that she is now dead which a lot of movies make that choice. Like, once it's revealed, the character arc, over. Mm -hmm. um, but what we learn from her death is how fucked up Rose is. Because her sister, who is the one who keeps getting into these messes that are that Emily tries to save her from, the she's there's a look on her face that's, like, inscrutable. 
she just watched her sister die, and she really still only cares about her boyfriend, Colt Peter. Right, right. So we learned that. Yeah, we learned that, but we learned nothing about um, the, the, the chance and the choice aspect, which would be, like, the only reason to put... That's what I'm saying, is, like, the movie made a point of doing stuff with coins mm-hmm. and chance. They're playing roulette. It's not just, like, you know... It's I, not, I, I guess it's not... It's, like... It was Emily's choice to be good, to be a good person. Okay. And he makes he makes fun of people who try to be good. Yeah. And there's the good versus evil. So she tried mm, to be good, sure. and she died anyway. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I just don't think it went anywhere. That's The whole roulette thing was just, like, again, to try and build unnecessary tension for no reason. Like, it, it was cool that they had this thing, but it could have been a coin flip or anything. Mm-hmm. could have just been Russian roulette with, yeah. you know. Okay, so then Flynn stops lying. He says that they robbed a bank, and then we and then jeez, um, oh yeah. So they they stop lying, and Flynn tells him it's robbing a bank, and then um, Billy Lee stops talking to him, her, him, and starts talking to Dar- Dar- Darlene, mm-hmm. and Darlene gives that speech, mm-hmm. that the the, pow- the power grabbing man speech thing, mm-hmm. right? Now, which is cool, is a cool speech. Like, the, the actual way it's performed and the actual information, mm-hmm. what she's saying is great. And I think it's really effective the way it's used. Yeah. But if you're looking at a broader terms in the movie and you're writing a movie and you're trying to say, hey, all these kinds of movies, well, let's use Cabin in the Woods, mm-hmm. which is specifically trying to be a subverted version of horror movies, mm-hmm. right? So it's, you know, this movie is supposed to be like a subverted version of a Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why in, in Reservoir Dogs, oops, I keep bringing this up in Reservoir Dogs, there's, there's the musical montage where he cuts off that dude's ear. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. The musical montage in this felt like that. Yeah. So he's trying, trying to. Yeah. So it's like he, he's trying to say all these movies are the same and the villain doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Because it's, he's just going to do whatever he's going to do, and Darlene deflates him. Yeah. But you still put that guy in the fucking movie. You didn't write a better character. You didn't write one, someone more interesting. You just acknowledge the fact that it's lazy by making Darlene say it as, as a character and as a villain. But you didn't actually do better. Like, Cabin in the Woods is brilliant because it does better. It goes farther. It shows you a bigger world. Where in this movie, it just goes... Yeah, this villain's lazy. And we all acknowledge it's lazy. And we realize it's lazy. But we're not going to make better. We're just going to leave it at that. I, but the, I don't know. I, I just didn't, I didn't come to the same conclusion because it's just that life is weird, awkward, makes no sense, and people die for no reason. And villains aren't, are, are not super interesting. Villains are themselves not interesting, which is, I thought, the point. Okay. He's... We don't care, and I liked that because essentially what she's saying is he's starting to explain himself like every villain does in every movie. Every villain is like, this is what I'm trying to do. This mm-hmm. is my great vision. And she's like, I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. And I just liked that, but I didn't see that as like the author or director admitting that he is lazy. He's just like, villains in real life aren't that interesting. Yeah, I see that point, but then the movie should have just ended there. It should have been that. It should have just... And he just killed everybody and they walked off. 
just like here is a morally ambiguous tale. This woman has said this thing. You're supposed to think about it later. Here's the exclamation point of him winning. Isn't that like ooh, villains are confusing? Like the end of Old Country for No mm -hmm. Old Man. But no, we keep going. We have a thrilling climax, and that's why I think it doesn't work because the movie then tries to tie up other pieces that that are. <sighs> so then, this is and that would be great. I would, if the movie would have ended right there, I'm like sweet. I'm thinking about this last conclusion of Darlene. Mm -hmm. She said this thing. It sucks she died, but you know no one's a good or bad. Yeah. So we feel kind of, you know, yeah, Flynn's kind of a bad guy. Miles is a bad guy. We don't know much about Darlene, but she's an innocent victim. And you think about her words, mm -hmm. the cult goes on and gets captured, and whatever. And then all the confusingness would have been fine. Then, she, what the fuck happens? Miles becomes a superhero. Well, he is all along. But wait, um. You're just choosing to word everything in such a way. Yeah, because that's how he felt. Okay, I just didn't because so what we learn about Miles is that and this I was oh, like this in yeah. movies where you the most unassuming person is the most deadly and well, so he's a coward that we think but then we learn that he's a Vietnam vet and yeah. he's extremely a successful sniper. Yeah, but well, the power cuts out. They get all freaked out because there's no music. They ask Darlene to sing, mm -hmm. and then they're gonna play Russian roulette with her. Then Flynn freaks out. And knocks people over, and there's a fight scene. And then uh, Miles is cowering, mm -hmm. and Darlene is on her side, and he's like, I can't kill any more people. Mm -hmm. She's like, How many people did you kill? It's like 123 or something. Mm -hmm. Then we get the flashback of Miles and learn all the stuff you just talked about. Mm -hmm. He's a really great sniper. He's all fucked up PTSD because of war. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to do it anymore. Oh, wait, sorry title card there's a title card that said maintenance closet oh yeah yeah which yeah. And this is that that's another thing where like the pacing of the movie then just broke yeah. like then we're like oh we're gonna slow down right in the middle of a fight scene yeah a fucking fight scene where literally billy lee and 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 flynn are punching each other with yeah. flaming logs we're like no no <laughs> no awesome. vietnam <laughs> remember it's it's tragic and that and it's it's just like fine but the pacing was so weird like like like, ah, uh, action scene. Nah, but he's, tr we feel for him. And we go back to the fight scene, and then he shoots everybody because he's a rad sniper, which is fine. That was cool. He kills everyone because we need to wrap it up. Yeah. Because the movie's already two hours and 20 minutes. Um, so he kills everyone. Um, uh, shoots Billy Lee. Mm -hmm. um, he should have just shot Rose. Yeah, and then... Rose, he tries to comfort Rose, and, and Rose she kills, him. kills him. And then, then there's the remorse scene where, like, he come on, that was moving. It was, but I didn't really care about him. It was moving. Why didn't you care about him? Because I only knew like two things about him that I learned like five seconds ago. I learned like fifteen minutes ago he's a Vietnam vet, and that's it. And he really wants to repent. No, I throughout the whole movie he doesn't say very much, but what he does say I thought was communicated really well. I I, I felt like I understood exactly who he was, um, and I I felt for him. I, I, I how many I, times did you watch this movie? This twice. Time? You watched it twice. Yeah. So did I. I didn't. I, I felt for him, 
but in a movie where it's a bunch of bad people and you're supposed to go along with an adventure of shitty people, it just didn't impact me that much that the literal mass murderer who's killed the most amount of people I'm supposed to care the most for, and I just didn't buy it. I was like, fine. And I would have been okay with learning about that past and then him also dying in the cult getting away. Like, and, and it just felt very, okay, we need to get the movie over with. Let's kill all the bad guys and let people escape. And then they gave him a little touching scene. Well, the hotel's on fire? Yeah. That was a, a thing that was mentioned in the trivia as a pretty bad factual area, era. Yeah. Error was to have all the fires be so small and contained, and they're all over. Yeah, and be like, oh, well, he needs to die now, and we need to give him this touching and monologue. And then the fire, like, yeah. That kind of stuff yeah. where I'm just like... Well, okay. Yeah. I Here's what I think about his ultimate dying, is that I think that... Maybe just because Jeff Bridges is a better actor than everybody. But <laughs> in the scene where he, in the beginning, when you see how moved he is by her singing, I just made the decision emotionally that he is the main character. <laughs> and I think people could argue and say, no, it's, it really is supposed to be that. Seven yeah. Strangers Meet. Or, or it's that or Darlene. Um, but I decided emotionally that he was. And if you see it through that perspective, maybe that's why I felt a little more satisfied because... I don't think we are supposed to care about the soldier's death, but his choice to become a priest uh, was like his own redemption. Mm -hmm. So that's what I saw, is that the character I cared more about was um, taking on a role for someone else's benefit, sure. even though it meant nothing to him. And so I thought it was definitely more about him than the soldier. Yeah, no, and... I, I agree with you there, and I think that is prob probably makes more sense. It was just, I don't, I don't know, it just felt very much like sobbing Oscar bait emotional stuff. Oscar just, bait. You know what I mean? Like, now we have this young, this boy cut down in his youth who is a Vietnam vet and isn't war terrible, and look at him die in a very tragic way as fire surrounds him. And he cries, and the fallen priest then will help him move on gracefully to his death. And I was like, wow, you, you really, we just went from like a flaming log fight and a roulette, a Russian roulette gun thing to this in the course of a couple of minutes, where the rest of the movie just took fucking took its time. Like, just fucking two hours of walking around, you know? And musical montages. But then it crammed all this emotional content in very much at the end. But then the movie is not over. Because Jeff Bridges goes to watch Darlene sing at in Reno. I liked that. That was great. I also liked that. It was very pretty. But also it was like, it's, it's, it's so long. The movie was so long. I didn't think so. The movie was long and in my mind very pretentious. I but, think we should retitle this podcast... We shit on each other's things that we like. <laughs> well, the thing is, there are things about this movie I liked. There, I thought the movie was very pretty. I thought the acting was phenomenal. The acting was so great. Yeah, this is this is absolutely. If you want to see Jeff Bridges, John Hamm, um, Chris Hemsworth do amazing performances, that's what you get. Does it make sense? Not really. 
Well, I think it does. I think it makes sense, but only in a very convenient way. Things just happen because they need to happen, or else the story wouldn't happen. Like, and the other thing that really bugs me about it is it's just in love with its setting. It's in love with the 60s and the 70s and will not let you ever forget it. Like, and that was the thing where I was like, I haven't forgotten this movie takes place in the 60s. <laughs> I remember. You don't have to blast me with music the whole time to remember the setting. You don't have to pad out scenes where you've tacked on an extra half an hour of just musical montages, scenes where we don't learn any information, trying to tell the story in a clever order so you have to figure it out later, even though you don't really need to figure it out later because it gives you all the information anyways. Like, the whole middle act where they try and tell the story in a different order just makes it longer. And we don't learn anything from it doing it that way. We just learn about the characters. I, yeah. I thought that it was not trying to tell one long story. I, and I think I just accepted that earlier on. Okay. So every thing that happened, I just saw, like, that because someone dies, we get to see how someone reacts to it. Because this piece of information was dropped in a certain way, we can see how that reveals about the person who told it or the person who heard it. So it really was it was a, a movie about nothing um, with no real meaning ex except to learn about these people that he, the writer decided to talk about. And I, yeah. I felt that that was done successfully. I just don't... I think all of the stuff that was injected into the movie to force it to be at that hotel and be at that setting and be specific to those things didn't matter. You could have made the movie about 2019, different fucking senator, totally different hotel, and it would have and all the performances could have been almost exactly the same and it would have been fine. It just felt like the director who also wrote the movie, that's why I keep bringing it up, mm -hmm. really wanted it to be at this place, at this time in this style with this music. And all that stuff just made the movie feel bloated. It made it feel forced, just like, like none of it mattered to the, to the characters, the characters, or any of that. And that's why I'm like, it just felt like nobody said no to him. Like, two, two, almost two and a half hours for a movie where you say not very much happens, but really great performances? C cool. I just didn't think it was that great. I thought it was pretty mediocre with, with kind of a lot of flash. Mm. Like, it was pretty. but And the story was uh, convoluted and, and weird and a bit surprising at times, but not worth, not worth the ticket. I don't agree at all. Okay, that's fine. You don't that's have to. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I, so. I felt very... Um, emotionally drawn into not just the performances, which were kind of inarguably good, but um, the writing was successful to me because the the way that they revealed the characters, once you put it together in your head, which I didn't think was that hard. There were mistakes that were made, but it was an interesting enough way to tell it, and I felt like I figured it out pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. So, and it, so we're talking about how it could have been done better, but I never really felt very confused. The only time I really did was just that sitting on the beach scene where we meet mm -hmm. the Billy Lee character. But um, So in that way, I understood the story they were trying to tell, 
I thought this, there was a, a lot of subtlety in how we um, understand the characters. Um, and I felt really drawn in. Um, and I don't, I was, I was very moved by several of the performances and cared about the people pretty well. And it got me interested in knowing the history that the hotel is supposed to be based off of. Mm -hmm. But once I read about it, I had wished that that's where I agree with you that I know what the director and writer had in mind, uh, because he is imagining a whole mythology that's coming with the hotel that it's actually based off of. He didn't show it very well, mm -hmm. uh, but if he had, I know what he would have seen. Sure. And so it was really interesting doing a little bit of research after the movie just to know about the um, the Calneva. Mm -hmm. It's like the Calneva. Yeah. Calneva, I guess, is how everyone says it. So, hmm. um, and that there would have been interesting ways to show the history of that place because, yeah, um, I thought it was a pretty subtle choice to not explain what person they see in the film. To me, I thought it was John F. Kennedy. Yeah. Um, and I also think that it's, I think it was probably suggesting that it was him and Marilyn Monroe. Well, like, yeah. But it could have been sure. anyone. Um, but then I heard more about her story and how it related to that original hotel because there's purportedly a lot of ghosts there oh, because cool. they think that that's where she died. Oh. So she, they found her body face down in her bed in Los Angeles, you know, surrounded by um, bottles of pills and alcohol. But the autopsy report showed that rigor mortis had set in, in her back, um, which meant that she died on her back, not on her stomach. Mm -hmm. So she was moved. Um, and they, th everyone had seen her at, she went to that hotel all the time. It's pretty far away. It's like more in northern mm -hmm. where Nevada connects. Yeah, it's like the, the border. Yeah. So it's actually quite far away. Of course but it's the border. That's yeah, the whole point. that's the whole point. Um, but um, so they think that she died there. She had her own little cabin. Hmm. And that Frank put her in a plane. There's some evidence that like he there was a biplane of his that took off at a similar time. And then she was found in her room because they didn't want any stories about yeah. anyone dying in that hotel. Yeah. And there are, uh, really, those passageways are there. Hmm. Um, and they said it had to do with their connections with the mob. Yeah. That it was the way that they'd funnel in alcohol and funnel out bodies. Hmm. So that's the legends behind it. Because there was a certain period of time that I why think... So, so why weren't we watching that movie? Right. Yeah. Like, so once I learned that, I was like, I see the mythology that he is entranced yeah. by, which is why he's telling the story there, which is why... It couldn't be in another hotel. Yeah. But but that wasn't the story we saw. Now, I I think I understand why he didn't show it because in my mind he was, by showing Nixon, by vaguely describing a figure that seems like John F. Kennedy, they're trying to explain how America had changed at that time, which is why they Fine. keep... Yeah. Showing you what and year also, it is. It's 69, and yeah. um, it's not 1960 anymore, and things have changed. Mm -hmm. But they, so I got it, but they, I here's where I'll agree with you. They were heavy-handed with things that they didn't have to be, and they w were uh, too vague about things they needed to show more. And yeah. so what they could have done with um, the hotel to make it as interesting as the director thought was to, 
show that there are ghosts of it, kind of like uh, The Shining, because you could very much yeah. compare those movies. Because yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah. It's a hotel where the that was bustling with like mm-hmm. excitement and parties and yeah. And that's in the book, The Shining. They talk a lot about like, like murders and intrigue yeah. and things that happen. And you see, you feel the ghosts in the book. He feels the ghosts of those parties happening. And like they should have had scenes like that. That would have been it really been, effective. Yeah, it would have been cool if like there was a flashback where John Hamm's character was at the hotel when it was yeah. fucking swinging. Yeah, and like. You, know, you see the back of someone's head that's obviously Frank. Like, oh, yeah, totally. There's so totally. many cool ways yeah. they could have done that. And, like, you know, he could have known about the hallways ahead of time. Yeah. He was, like, all this shit could have been... See, that's what I mean. It just was... All the stuff in this movie was, like, oh, that's cool. End of it. And that's what felt really gimmicky. Mm-hmm. Like, look at this cool location. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at all this hip 60s music. <laughs> like, it doesn't do anything. It just makes the movie have the setting of like, I know all this stuff and I'm a cool guy. Whereas like, you could have used it. You could have said something with it that makes the movie fun to watch. But I don't like, I, when I watched it the second time, it was just like, oh, okay. All the mystery is gone and there's not really anything else to explore. Like, one theory is that they're all dead and that's purgatory, which just doesn't actually work out. That's mm-hmm. kind of fucking stupid. Yeah. Um, I, could, I guess they redeem, like, Jeff Bridges redeems himself. Yeah. But Darlene doesn't do shit. Well, she's not bad. Like, she's probably the, the least... Fine, but she doesn't redeem herself back. either. She doesn't do any better. She's just there, and then she leaves. Like. Well, now she has the shit ton of money, oh, which true. is, I think... Which is kind of interesting that she chooses to still play at that Nevada place mm-hmm. because it's like she's obvious a singer. It's, it's what a, she does it's about singing. Yeah. So, I think if I have hope for her and where she's gonna go. But. Mm-hmm. So like, and I, the problem is I really wanted more. Mm-hmm. Like I went into the first act of the movie, like yeah, this is gonna be like all the shit's going to be uncovered and I'm going to learn all this crazy stuff. And by the end of the movie, I'll be like, what the fuck's going on? And by the end of the movie, I was just like, you beat me over the head with how clever you are. And for that, I call you pretentious. That's why, because it was like, let me show you this cool stuff. And that, that to me is pretentious as opposed to just like letting the story happen naturally or letting things, letting things unfold in a way that's not trying to tell me the story in a clever way, giving me these title cards that aren't even consistent with themselves because that's what's cool in movies. Like, the title cards were completely unnecessary. Okay, I know. We've made that point. Um, the it Just, like, stuff like that really made me feel like he was trying to impress me, and it just fell flat. Have you seen With Null and I? Nope. Um, there's a lot of movies where the theme is it's 1969, it's not 1963 anymore. Oh, okay. And there's a lot of good ways to show that. And that's what I I think I would have written the movie to have done. Like, sure. here's the skeleton of a hotel that was the best part of the 60s, and now it's Nixon's America. Yeah, and they could have yeah. easily done that by injecting more Billy Lee. 
Like Billy Lee could have yeah. been like running sidelong right. up until they met. Like they had two different plots going along mm-hmm. where they had the people at the hotel and Billy Lee's like cult thing. And then he gets the call and shows up. Mm-hmm. And that's like the old 60s because like there's the all the characters mm-hmm. are kind of like representations. Um, yeah. They were representations. And then the, the new yeah. serial killer comes in and everything gets all fucked up. Mm-hmm. But they weren't doing that. Yeah. They were just telling like a Quentin Tarantino look at all these bad guys. You no know, like you know, like you watch Weather War Dogs and yeah, it's full of a bunch of shitty people and you're like, ah, these I don't want to hang out with these guys. But they're still fun. Well, you know Billy Billy Lee was fun. Billy and Lee, yeah. I think maybe the John Hamm was fun, but he died. The if if we do imagine that he was trying to tell that story that it's not nineteen sixty three anymore. The character, in, to me, no longer is a story where the bad people die and the good people live. But, like, the people who are from the old 60s are dead, which is why Billy Lee had to die. Not because bad people die, but mm. because that's not the world anymore, this hippie cult town. Um, and so, and the two characters that were, like, capable of growth um, did get to live. So, in that way, I was like, I, I get it. Yeah. It's like, here's this world, here's the new world. The people who are from that world don't belong in it anymore. So no. I like that. I mean, I, I, I'm really throwing this movie under the bus on purpose because I'm not into the fact that all movies are becoming two and a half hours long. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just tired yeah, of I it. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I think this movie could have been an, an hour and 40, an hour, mm-hmm. like an hour. Wasn't and, Stagecoach almost two hours? No, it was an hour and a half. Stagecoach oh. was really short. This movie was almost an hour longer, mm-hmm. and we learned less. Like I felt so. like Stagecoach was longer. I know you don't like old movies, and I do, and you all especially do not like the performances in the transatlantic thing. And I find it kind of charming, and you think it makes it sound really dated. I think. Yeah. Whereas this thing had like even more ridiculous vocal performances of like John Hamm and, and like. Yeah. Um, but it, I I would argue that his character, who's comparable to the idiot in Stagecoach, had. <laughs> His purpose was a lot. He had a purpose, and the idiot and stagecoach didn't. And I just didn't want him to be yeah. there. Yeah, no, I agree, and that's true. And that was just a heel for the movie. And yeah. That's just a product of the time. Um, but so I watched that movie, and then I had a little bit of downtime to watch another movie, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay. And I watched Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, which is a quirky movie full of assholes who pull off a crime really well. And I was like, that. That's what I wanted to be watching, because everything in that movie is the same amount of ridiculous coincidence. Like, every circumstance is just the, the, the main four characters just walk into things that have happened afterwards. Yeah. They walk away with money and weed, and it's really funny and charming, and you're on board with them yeah. the whole time. But I, And that was what like I wanted from this movie. That's what I thought I was going to get, mm. and it just didn't fulfill anything and then what it left me with was somebody i don't know that guy it felt like he was like i made captain in the woods everybody thought that movie was super clever i'm gonna make another clever movie with a quirky and it just wasn't fun so i don't keep doing my marge noise (laughs) i and again i would actually recommend it i would absolutely recommend it i would just be like it's two and a half hours long just know that going into it it's a long movie and like it's not you're not going to feel like you're being it's the, the story is not going to captivate you right at the beginning. There's going to be parts where it slows down for no reason, but 
for it. It'll be interesting enough to, if you have the patience for it, mm -hmm. it will give you something. That's not a very good recommendation. Whereas like a lot of movies, like even Lock, Stock and Stew Smoking Barrels, I'm like, you just on board. Like the second they're like, they flip the table over and they're running for it, you know, because they're selling like stolen good goods. You're like, okay, we're on this fun little quirky adventure with a narrator, you know? So. I don't know if I've ever watched that since the 90s. Oh, it's great. It's absolutely great. So many of those movies all came out all at once. Yeah. Snatch is the one that I always watch. Snatch one. It, I haven't seen that in years. But see, that that's also one. I was trying to find it, but I couldn't find it streaming. Oh, yeah. So it was like, so, but yeah, same thing. I would, I would rather be watching that or Reservoir Dogs than what this movie was because this movie was trying to say something and I don't, or it felt like it was trying to say something and it, I don't think it worked. Uh, it is, it was definitely an homage to a lot of those movies, but it was different. I mean, all of the movies you mentioned are quirky and it has to do more with the plot than anything else, but mm -hmm. you don't, you don't, you're not moved by any of those characters. And uh, you're not supposed to yeah. be. Like, you, whether or not you like them, you're not, like, invested. If they die, you're not like, oh, he was such a good person. You're like, mm -hmm. he's kind of a piece of shit, but he's kind of funny. So, and I think that, so this movie was different. It was a little more Coen Brothers-y. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, like, bad things happen for no reason. Like, it felt very, like, yeah, the no country. Mm -hmm. It's, like, bad things happen for no reason. Some people are just shitty, but some people are good, and that's yeah. nice. No, and, <laughs> like. That's kind of the point. I'm I'm excited to see what he makes next, and I would go see it because I'm he's an interesting director and writer, and it was it's fun to think about and talk about. It just wasn't like a it wasn't a fucking home run. It's kind of a okay. That's fair and, enough. And and that that's what people told me it was. I heard oh. from a lot of people that this movie was phenomenal, oh. and I'm like, it's not. And I can show you. That's why you yeah. came into it. Cause yeah, because I, I was guns. Because I'm I'm like. I hate yeah. that when people yeah. do that with my expectations. I'm way more likely to hate something yeah. if they do that. And like I wasn't I wasn't looking for stuff and then it, then the title card thing really bugged me. Like the first time I watched it I was like, "Oh, they're doing a thing. Cool." Like every time we meet a character, we're going to have like a thing and then it stopped doing it and I was like, "Oh, I guess we're done meeting characters." And then it picked it up again and I was like, "What are you doing? What the fuck is this? And then on the second rewatching, I started like really picking it apart and yeah. thinking about what was going on. And I was like, fine, you're not supposed to think this hard about the movie. You're not, it's not the point of it. Don't make it two hours long then where I have enough time to think about it. <laughs> Did you watch the, the thing I sent you before or after you watched it? Because you showed me the trailer and I was like, oh, it's like that, the SNL joke about the yeah. Wes Anderson wrote a horror movie. <laughs> the Midnight Coterie. This is so good. Stabbies. I would fucking watch that movie. I would so absolutely. I, I don't care. Cohen, uh, not Cohen Brothers. Wes Anderson is ridiculous, but I enjoy his ridiculous. He gives you something that's like not realistic and very silly, but I'm I'm at least on board with how, how everyone looks like they're having so much fun making those. Well, movies. we don't know enough about this guy. To, I think he's so he's made the he's so he put a big stamp on these two movies. Yeah. So uh, he wrote. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fucking. Let's just talk about how stupid leaf blowers are. Just he keeps interrupting. Well, also, like you're just blowing it around. Like, just okay. I'm sorry. They're stupid. Um, uh, Cloverfield. He wrote Cloverfield. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, mm -hmm. So he's written movies that sort of subvert your expectations always. Mm -hmm. And if that's what he was doing with this movie, I have a problem with that because I don't think he did. I think he literally just made the same kind of movie that everybody else makes without making any statement about how this movie is different. 
It's just like another group of characters who get together and have a shitty time. And there's no statement made except for what Darlene says, but he still wrote that character in there, therefore it doesn't really have any function, and it just was like, it just fell flat. So it did give everybody what they want, which is apparently dudes punching dudes, because that's Marvel does that forever, and everyone sucks their dick because of it. So, because fucking Endgame has made the most money ever. Right. So, Listeners can't hear, but I'm shrugging throughout all of this. Yeah, I know. I don't give a shit. I know. Well, I don't give a shit either. That's why yes, the, you do. The, the, the cli- no, the climax of this movie was stupid. Everything in this movie was about guns and power plays, and then it ended with a fucking fist fight. And then they so? shot everybody. So? It's just dumb. But it was about the characters. It wasn't about the violence. But then why did you have it? Why did you to need... reveal things about the characters. Violence shows you who people really are. Yeah, that's true. And she does say that line where there wasn't violence before you, and he's like, well, it's here now. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Well, that was kind of interesting because she says that there wasn't violence before you. But she killed a dude. But so we know a tiny bit about her and the sister that they were beaten up by their dad or sexually abused yeah, by him. it's implied. And so there's violence is like has always been here. Mm-hmm. Sort of what that. Yeah, and the characters keep saying, like, when Miles is trying to confess, you know, everybody's like, everyone's done shitty stuff in the past. So, yeah, but, I don't know. Um, Okay, so that's... We should tie it up. Oh, I don't have any... I think we've gone over You just want to go... No, 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 no. I don't. I'm like, I keep saying this, like, this movie is not terrible. Like, I've seen much worse movies. Mm -hmm. Absolutely that, that... like worst performances i mean but it was just i hate it when somebody's trying to show me how clever they are Mm -hmm. and i just it just doesn't work on me Mm -hmm. sometimes somebody shows me something where they're trying to be clever Mm -hmm. and i'm completely blown away like Mm -hmm. every stanley kubrick movie feels like that to me Mm -hmm. like look at how smart i am like or or um orson welles like that motherfucker is absolutely being like I'm hell smart. Let me show you how hell smart I am. And he makes a movie, and you're like, yeah, you are hell smart. This movie felt like it was trying to do that, and I didn't like it because it didn't work. I think it would have been so different for you if no one gave you any expectations. I ever, agree. Because I had zero expectations. Yeah. I had no. I didn't know who the director or writer was, mm-hmm. and I watched the trailer, and it. Was, I didn't know, think I finished the whole trailer, so I had no idea what to expect. Yeah. And, but I went to people tell me I'm going to love something, or it's their favorite thing, or they yeah. act excited about it. I like shut down right away. I'm just like, yeah, no. That's and I'm the same way. I think we have the, that's like the punk rock. Like yeah. I'm not gonna. So listen. we need to. Next movie has to be something we both have no nothing about. Well, I mean that was a stagecoach for me too. I I uh, knew like nothing. I never saw it. Nobody nobody talks about stagecoach. How are we gonna get to a situation where we talk about a movie that we both like? Well, I what I mean I liked Barb Wire. <laughs> no, you <laughs> I, didn't. Yeah, I did. You shot on it the whole time. Well, I shot on everything. It's my job. <laughs> I'm a shitty dude. What do you expect out of me? I'm super critical of everything. We we could watch an Orson Welles movie and I'll shit on it too. Don't worry about it. Uh, but that doesn't mean I like I like shitting on stuff. I think it's fun. I mean, we're that's one of the things I truly believe is that any you can be critical of anything whether it's good or bad, and you can make fun of anything whether it's good or bad. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, Jackson Pollock is an amazing painter who's done work that no one's ever done before. But it looks like he just dropped a bunch of paint on some canvases. Yep. 
But, I mean, nobody did that before. So. I think I would have done that more with this movie, but I was so moved by the performances. And the performances were so very it good. It made me feel emotional yeah. about the movie as a whole, so I'm a little less likely to pick it apart. I just can't. If characters are good, mm-hmm. that's fine. I just can't get behind that when they're trying to tell a story that's supposed to be complicated and neat. And that's what I felt like they were trying to do, and it didn't work because the performances were great, but the story made no sense sometimes. And the storytelling made no sense. Mm-hmm. So it was like, even though the performances were good, and I loved them, and I love the individual chunks of them, mm-hmm. the way we get to those was just like, Bleh. And now we're there. Don't think about it too much. Bleh. And now we're there. And this performance is really good. you know. And that was the stuff where I'm like, you know, I just want to raise my hand and be like, why did you have to do this? Couldn't you have had the performances in a not, in like a less confusing movie? So, that's all I'm saying. Um, okay, uh, real quick. Yes. Uh, have, is there anything else you've seen that was good? Um, it's a funny thing to have watched this and then understand his connection to Joss Whedon because mm. I've been rewatching all of Firefly and I, I watched. Am. For some reason, I felt inclined to watch the Serenity movie three times. This Whoa, week. that's a good movie though. I really love it. Mm-hmm. So I just been thinking about yeah, storytelling, sci-fi, characters, dialogue, and there's a lot of similarities. You can see how much he was influenced by Joss Whedon. I just watched. There's a lot of theory going on that um, this guy had less to do with the directing of. Cabin in the Woods, and it was mm-hmm. much more Josh Whedon. Yes. So. I, yeah, that's, that's I a, think so. Um, but uh, I just watched Firefly for the first time all the way through, mm-hmm. like this year, and the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, sat down and watched it as a whole long run. It's very good. I enjoyed it. Um, I think the movie is better than the show. Yeah, well, I agree. It had a much better budget. Mm-hmm. And, but know. I think the writing was better. And, mm. uh, through and through, like, I, I had... I basically watched it, and even the third time, I was like, I don't disagree with any single choice that was made, mm-hmm. which I that's not usually the case. Yeah, although I think it's funny, like gets stabbed in the back, and it, like doesn't affect him. And well, he's like, things like that. Yeah, yeah that's that's just... a uh, not spoilers for Buffy that ended <laughs> ten years ago, but her getting like stabbed all the way through, and she just stands up and says, "Get out of my face," <laughs> and then she saves the world again. Yeah, uh, and then she jumps onto a a, a school bus. <laughs> town is blowing up it's great i love it but that's, that's, i this is just true i mean i just love things so much that i there become there comes a point where i don't i stop being critical mm-hmm. or i'm critical but i'm so emotionally invested that it's it's like being in love with someone or i'm just like stop being shitty but i'm still here yeah yeah so that's i feel about when character development's good and acting i'm just like i don't want people to be mean to the things I love. <laughs> right, no, and, and I'm sorry to, you know, be no, mean to this movie, sorry. but it's just the way I am. Because, like, uh, like, right before this movie, like, the day or two before this movie, I watched Wreck-It Ralph 2. What's that? It's just a, a Pixar movie. Oh. And I was just like, I, I love this. This is great. I want to just watch all these movies forever because they're just... But then you come to a point where you feel emotionally exhausted. Oh, yeah. Pixar. yeah. Pix- oh, yeah. Pixar is, is a lot. Like, they really, you know, there's like a, um, a, a a cookie that's been turned into like a necklace and like breaks in half. So it turns into two necklaces and they hug and they like connect together into a heart. And I'm like, oh, even for me, that's like 
gag me with a spoon, but still I'm kind of tearing up because of the way that <laughs> Pixar pulls it off. I hate that. I get mad when they right. emotionally manipulate oh, Yeah, like when you watch the first couple seconds of Us, or uh, Up, of, of oh. up, and you're like, it's so That's dumb, and I know nothing about these characters, but I fucking give a shit God instantly. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, is there anything else? Godzilla, right? What? Somehow you're gonna tie this into Godzilla. No, no, no. I mean, I'm I'm watching all those, but whatever. <laughs> um, there's something else I want. What is your bookmark? Is it blood? It's just a, no, no. It's a it's a cat paw. Oh, that's a good spot of blood. No, I watched um. I watched Tampopo. Mm-hmm. Again, which is phenomenal. But that's about all I've really. Oh, and Strangers on a Train, which is good. You should watch that movie. Okay. That's a that's a Hitchcock movie. Okay. So. I will. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's, we're done. We're done. <laughs> that was a lot to talk about. <laughs> that was probably longer than all the other ones. Uh, probably. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. I had a lot to say about that movie. <clears throat> Bruh. Uh, yeah.